Northwest Prime, bringing Seattle to the world and the world to Seattle. I'm your host, Lori Ness, a soldier on the front line of the mainstream. You can listen to this and other shows at northwestprime.com and be sure to stay with Seattle Wave Radio 24-7-365 for more great music and interviews. We're starting a movement of kindness and we want you to join us. Let's get this show started. Well, it's a privilege to talk with David Wertheimer from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation on Homelessness today. The Gates Foundation has taken a lead role in ending homelessness, and their Northwest model is being adopted by cities and agencies around the world. And we're going to try to keep David here maybe 30 or 40 minutes today, if he'll give us that amount of time so we can cover as, as, as much as we can, but we will be sympathetic. He's a very, very busy man. So thank you, David, for, for coming on with us today. Good morning, Larry. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, so what, how many years ago was it that, that the Gates Foundation decided to take this active leadership position w- with the homeless situation? Well, the, the Gates Foundation's work in family homelessness, which is our focus here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, one of our folks out here in the Pacific Northwest, goes back now about uh, 13 years. It was in 2000 when the foundation was still quite young, uh, quite new, that Melinda Gates came to the then Pacific Northwest team, the local team that does grant making here in the in the in the community locally, and said, "What is the greatest inequity facing vulnerable families here in Washington State?" And after a period of thinking about that issue and researching it a bit, the uh, the team came back to to Melinda and said, "Actually, it's families that don't even have a home. Uh, that is perhaps the greatest inequity." facing vulnerable people here in this community today. And so back in 2000, we began our work in family homelessness and for the first seven or eight years focused on increasing the supply of uh, primarily transitional housing linked to supportive services for families. And then in uh, 2007 and eight, we pivoted to the work we're doing today. What is the main factor in a family becoming homeless? Or is there one? That is a great question. Uh, there are many factors that can contribute to a family uh, becoming homeless, and uh, it really is something that uh, when you when you stop to think about it, could happen to virtually any of us. And when people ask me what is the face of family homelessness, one of the first things I suggest is that they actually uh, take a look in a mirror because it, it could be any of us. There could be, for example, a medical crisis for some families uh, that results in a loss of employment and then a loss of insurance that leads to an inability to uh, sustain housing. Domestic violence is often uh, a cause of homelessness for many families, primarily women and their children who are, are fleeing from uh, an abusive partner or spouse. Uh, there are also causes related to the just the, the general cost of housing as it compares to the wages uh, that people can earn in communities across the United States where uh, the gap between uh, the affordability of housing and the amount of income a family can generate is huge. For example, if you're a single parent here in western Washington uh, and you don't have much education and training, let's say you have a high school degree and you can get a minimum wage job, you have to work 80 to 90 hours, sorry, you have to work 90 to 104 hours a week to be able to afford uh, housing that can house you and your family and feed your kids and clothe your kids. And particularly for single parents who don't have a lot of education and training uh, and can't get jobs that pay a lot more than minimum wage, it's virtually impossible to afford housing uh, when it's so expensive. Well, then you add in child care on top of that. And right. it's almost you know out of reach just, just to live. Child care and housing, and it's got to be what, probably 70 of somebody's income, I would imagine. Right. um, Melinda Gates started this in 2000. That was really right at the turn. I mean, the economy really started going downhill about the time that this foundation was started. Uh, Well, there have been economic uh, ebbs and flows uh, across many, many decades in this country, and every one of those economic ebbs puts families that are vulnerable and on the edge uh, at further risk and puts further strain on, on their resources. And in fact, family homelessness uh, was was relatively rare in the United States before the 1980s. Uh, and the economic downturn in the 1980s was, was fairly unique in the cycles of boom and bust in this country because 
in the 80s as the economy began to recover, uh, that was one of the first times that wages and the cost of housing were so out of alignment that many families that had been hit hard by that recession were really unable to, to access housing as the economy recovered. It was just too expensive. Mm-hmm. And and that really hasn't changed because housing has still is, is not affordable in, in most places. That's right. I, I did see today that there was some good news in Florida, though, that their family homeless rate had dropped 17, a little over 17.5% from last year uh, because of the economy and people being able to, to get new new jobs. Do you think that's, that's the key here, or, or how, how many different factors are we looking at? I think there are a number of different keys and a number of different components to the solutions to, to family homelessness, and certainly... Uh, one of those things is uh, access to income and jobs that can pay a living wage. And for families that are vulnerable, uh, the, the lower income families in our communities, the recession has lasted a lot longer than, than for others. And uh, homelessness is, is what's often called a lagging indicator of recovery, which is to say that homelessness continues to be an issue uh, even after uh, core economic indicators suggest that the economy is recovering because it takes a long time sometimes for families that and individuals who are at the at the at the lower socioeconomic strata in our larger society to feel the the effects and the benefits of recovery in terms of their ability to access jobs their ability to access income so when you think about sort of what it takes to end family homelessness i think it's a combination of factors uh, one factor, of course, as you just mentioned, is the, the ability to generate income, the ability to get jobs, and particularly the ability to have a job that pays a living wage, which means you need to connect wage earners and families that are struggling with housing instability and homelessness with opportunities for education, for training, uh, so for workforce uh, investment-funded programs, for job training, for uh, uh, college degrees and uh, uh, post-secondary uh, training opportunities that can actually lead to careers that have the opportunity to pay a living wage. That's a critical piece. A second piece, though, also is housing. It's really, really important to be able to stabilize a family in permanent housing that they can call their own housing uh, as quickly as possible uh, when they're in a crisis. And this new phenomenon, which which has been explored over the last 24 months or so nationally, called rapid rehousing, which is a way to promote uh, moving families quickly when their when their housing is destabilized or they're homeless, moving them quickly into permanent housing with a fairly short-term rent subsidy that can help them stabilize, is proving to be an essential tool in ending family homelessness because by stabilizing families in housing, you can then provide a platform from which they can begin to access uh, other resources and opportunities that can help them stabilize themselves both physically in a new home but also economically. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like that, that homelessness has kind of become a political issue because it, it isn't. It, it's a personal, it's a, it's a human issue. And there doesn't seem to be a set standard, so to speak, between the public sector and the private sector are, is is there a, are, are they working better together? It, it seems like there's just offshoots all over the place, um, and if somehow they could all interlink somehow, and, and that's probably what you guys are doing through the foundation is trying to link as many of those thing, those resources as possible. Um, but when you're dealing with cities, you, you know their their um, political policies could be coming into play. Then you have the the private sector trying to and and struggling to raise money to do what they can. And how how do you make those things work independently yet yet together? Another great question. They really have to be working together in an integrated way for us to succeed in in solving this problem. No one system, no one entity, no one government agency is going to be able to end homelessness on its own. Homelessness is such a complicated problem uh, and is such a symptom of so many other issues uh, in our in our larger society that I think only when multiple government systems and multiple private partners are at the same table are we going to be able to to solve this problem. And a great example of that here in Washington State, and actually it's unique nationally, is something called the Washington Families Fund. The Washington Families Fund is is operated by Building Changes, which is a community-based nonprofit. Uh, They've got a great website, buildingchanges.org. And what it represents is a public-private partnership that marries resources from Washington State, 
uh, and from communities across the state, so municipal and county resources, with private sector resources from, I think there are about 24 private foundations, corporate giving programs, uh, community foundations, and others that are contributing to the Washington Families Fund. And through the work that Building Changes does in bringing these public and private resources together, they're actually able to promote uh, 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 a much more uh, catalytic response to homelessness because they're aligning resources across all of these systems and aligning energy and momentum and the power of collective action that brings public and private partners together. And I think that's the only way that you're going to end homelessness in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when you're contacted by agencies um, outside of, of Seattle or outside of Washington, what is their biggest concern or what are they having the biggest problem with that they're coming to you uh, for uh, information on? Uh, I think that the issues that are that – are, there are several issues, I think, that, that come up most frequently. One, of course, is the availability of affordable housing and the, the fact that across this country there, there isn't a single county in the United States where uh, for a person earning the minimum wage they can uh, uh, find uh, a sufficient stock of housing that would allow uh, everyone to be housed. So affordable housing is certainly one of the major, major issues that, that comes up. But also I think one of the issues that we've been working with here and that people are beginning to recognize nationally we need to tackle is to to undo or to to address the the fragmentation that exists across all of the different multiple players and systems and organizations that touch at-risk and homeless families. Let me get try and get a little specific about that because it gets very complicated. This is the the work we do that that we describe as sort of systems change work. Right now, in Washington state and in communities across the country, a family that is vulnerable or at-risk has the opportunity to potentially be helped by a variety of different systems. Uh, If a family is struggling with uh, uh, child safety uh, or child neglect, the child welfare system may become involved. If a parent is trying to further their own educational goals and success, they may be involved in the workforce training system. Uh, If a a family uh, is eligible and needs uh, temporary aid to needy families or financial support, uh, an entitlement from the government, they would be receiving uh, help from the TANF system, temporary aid to needy families. If they're struggling with a substance abuse issue or a mental illness, they might be working with the mental health system or the alcohol and drug system. If they've been involved with the criminal justice system, they may be working with that system. There are all these different systems that are touching these families in many different ways, uh, and those systems very rarely are in integrated communication with each other. So they're often all pursuing laudable, valuable goals with all of the families that they're working with, but in isolation from each other in a way that doesn't create a synergy or a momentum to really help systems work together to address the needs of families that are at risk or homeless. And a great Mm -hmm. example of how we're trying to change that is right here in Tacoma, Washington, uh, where the Tacoma School District and the Tacoma Housing Authority, two very different systems, that share the same geography and share many of the same families because the kids are being educated in Tacoma schools where the Tacoma Housing Authority is also housing families. Those systems have never worked together to say what is the relationship between housing stability for families and educational success for kids. And they have an amazing pilot uh, program they're doing at a place called McCarver Elementary School, which is on the Hilltop neighborhood in Tacoma, where they now have have partnered housing vouchers and housing supports for families of kids that are enrolled in a very specific elementary school that's had a history of very high turnover. And they're finding that when you partner housing stability and educational stability and success together, kids and families thrive. Definitely, definitely. Well, on that, let's take a a quick break, um, and we will be right back. Um, I want to talk to you about the grant system that you guys are doing, as far as and also Mm -hmm. empathy, and how much uh, of a role does empathy play in in blocking what's what's going on or the lack thereof. So, uh, we're going to be right back with David Wertmeyer from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation on Family Homelessness. And in the meantime, you can listen to Rafe. 
Perlman and Jonathan Plum. They are singer-songwriters from here in Seattle. This is their song, Dove, and we will be right back. from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation on Family Homelessness. And we're talking today about about the, the, the problem with, with homelessness, not only here in the Northwest but and in the United States, but around the world. And we're going to talk right now about the faces of homelessness, because if you didn't grow up in a, in a bad 
family situation, um, this, this might all be new, and it, it might be something that you just don't understand how kids, for example, can turn to the street uh, for, for survival. And there's there's a, um, a photographer down in the Pike Place Market, and this is kind of how this whole thing came up on, on my radar, was uh, there's a there's a photographer down in the Pike Place Market. She's a crafter down there, Rosetta Greek, and she uh, – does some she works in Pike Place Market, but one day she pulled out her camera just as she was sitting there waiting between sales, and she started photographing uh, people coming by the market. And then she followed them and asked them if she could write a little story about their life, their hopes and their dreams. And guess what? Homeless people have hopes and dreams just like everybody else. And the majority of the people that she was interviewing, and she put this on Facebook, and this is how I came in contact with it, was a lot of the youth came from horrible family situations, horrible, things that you only see in nightmares type of situations. I didn't grow up, fortunately, in a home like that. But it brought it onto my radar screen that this was the last, opportunity really was turning to the streets um, and there was story after story after story and and that's what caught my attention and led me to David so I wanted to talk to David about the youth and their vulnerability in this as well do you see that as well David absolutely and you know I, I, one of the things one of the myths about homelessness that it's it's really important to challenge and confront is is that people choose to be homeless uh, and you hear that sometimes when you when you talk with folks about their perceptions of single adults who may be homeless on the streets and struggling with a mental illness or an addiction. You hear this sometimes when you talk to people about what they think about kids who may be on the street uh, or even families sometimes. And I think that that it actually is a myth that people choose to be homeless. People end up homeless only because the other choices available to them are even less attractive or less viable than living in a car or under a bridge or on the street. And for kids uh, especially, uh, very often the kids that become homeless, as you said, Lori, are, are facing really difficult situations in their own homes where they no longer feel either safe, they may not be safe, uh, or they may feel that, that it, it's, it is just not a viable place for them to stay. We know in Seattle and in communities across the country uh, by by self-report, probably between 30 and 40 percent of the homeless youth who are unaccompanied, so these are kids under 18 who are not in families but are living on the streets, uh, identify themselves as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgendered. And these are kids often that uh, whose families have, have uh, been unable to accept and love their children for who they are. And uh, these children have often faced violence, uh, in their homes uh, and abuse as a result of, of coming out to their parents or their relatives as uh, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgendered. And so they turn to the streets because it's, it's simply no longer possible for them to stay at home and stay safe. Uh, other kids are dealing with, with problems or issues at home that uh, create safety issues if uh, a parent is abusive or violent, uh, if, if uh, there are problems related to a parent who who maybe uh, has a, a major mental illness themselves and can't uh, deal with a child in the home, and there are even some homeless kids I've talked to who who have said that their parents basically said, "Why don't you head out on your own? Because uh, I I can't afford to have a child anymore. We have no money." That's just crazy. I mean, like I said, if, if you didn't grow up in a home like that, it doesn't even make sense to you. But the, but the but the reality is, it is a reality for a lot of people. And these are the people that once you're homeless, then it just compounds itself. It's hard to get a job because you don't have clothes to go on an interview with. You don't have shower facilities. You probably don't even have a watch most of the time. Um, and so it just keeps compounding itself into this bigger problem um, over and over and over again, just manifesting itself. Um, and people probably wonder, why don't you just get a job? It's not that easy just to get a job if you're living on the street. Right. And being homeless can become in itself sort of a full-time job. Imagine for a moment if you didn't have a home, if you didn't have a place to sleep, 
first of all, you'd be tired all the time. Uh, secondly, you would be wondering, where am I going to go to the bathroom? Where am I going to shower? Where am I going to eat? Uh, who am I going to talk to for support? Uh, and the simple process of survival becomes a full-time job. And it's really difficult to to focus on other areas of your life uh, uh, when what you're really focusing on is how am I going to live till tomorrow? Right. Yeah, and safety becomes probably number one priority. Absolutely. And yeah, then for a, for oh, go, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I was just going to say that there, there's a singer songwriter Jeff Ott. Uh, people might be familiar with him. He led the punk rock band for years 15 and Jeff I don't have have the song because I just found it on YouTube yesterday but um, some people had pointed me to it he describes the situation um, if, if anyone look, wants to look up Jeff Ott on YouTube but he was homeless um, and he describes very graphic detail what he went through to get him what that made him end up on the street and I think that that describes it for a lot of youth in uh, in, in, in this um, demographic um, Jeff talks very openly about abuse in the home that had him flee and um, now Jeff's living I believe in in Oregon now but um, but mm-hmm. you don't always hear the story of, of what makes somebody become homeless and just like you were saying David it's it's usually not a pretty story it's a, usually a violent story and uh, and a last last ditch for survival to leave whatever that situation was at home and then and then head mm-hmm. into an unknown situation being life on the street many children are also uh homeless and still living with their families as well. Uh, the, it's a little known uh, fact that, that in Washington State, uh, across the country actually, public schools are required to seek to identify and help kids who are enrolled in public schools who are homeless. And this past year in Washington State, uh, the uh, Office of the Superintendent of Public Instruction, OSPI, that, that, that is in charge of education in this state, uh, identified more than 27,000 children in Washington public schools, K through 12, who were homeless. Uh, 27,000 kids. Uh, wow. Many of them were living with their parents, doubled up uh, in someone's basement or garage or, or spare bedroom, uh, and many were also living uh, in shelters or uh, in cars or vans with their families. And when you think about those numbers, 27,000 kids, uh, the chances are that your child uh, is in school with classmates they may not even know are homeless. Uh, it's that close to us. It's that close to our everyday lives that your child uh, has a very high likelihood of being in school with uh, at least one other classmate who's homeless. And how sad for that other child because it's probably an embarrassment to them. They probably feel self-conscious, and maybe they maybe they don't even want to even share that information. That's why we have to be no, vigilant in, in, in they, looking out. They try to they and families uh, and kids will go out of their way to uh, hide the fact that they don't have a home uh, for fear of ridicule or shame or 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 uh, uh, social uh, ridicule. Uh, you know, we saw that. I don't, I don't know how many people in this, in, on, in your viewers, ever watched the show Glee, but uh, there was a, a kid in in Glee uh, who was hiding the fact that he was homeless uh, from his classmates and was ashamed uh, of the fact that he and his parents were living in a motel room. Um, and uh, fortunately, in, in in that context, when the kids finally found out, they were enormously supportive of him. But that desire to be invisible, to hide, to to not have everybody know what you're going through, is 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 all too common among homeless families that do their best to sort of put on a good show. But, uh, you know, and teachers are, are now increasingly trained to identify, you know, if you see a kid who's, who's wearing the same shirt three or four days in a row or looks like he hasn't had a chance to shower or uh, to, to begin to, to ask that kid and, and inquire uh, uh, where they're living, how they're doing, uh, what the school can do to, to help uh, support that family better. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, when I was doing the research for the show, it just dawned on me, and I've known this story my, my whole life, but I've never connected the dots. But my grandfather, um, when, when he was young, he would be what would be considered now to be to be homeless. And his parents passed mm-hmm. away, and he was put into an orphanage um, and was shuffled kind of between different homes and different things. And uh, uh, the orphanage situation was not good. And people, kids were running away from the orphanage. And uh, he ended up joining the military and um, going on and, you know, having having a, a really good life. But, but that's how close it really was to me. And when I think now back about my grandfather as a child, basically, um, living in, in this situation, and it just brought it even closer to home. I would have, personally, I would have liked to have helped him. I'd like to reach back and help him as a child um, at that time, but um, but but I can't. And uh, but there's children that we can help today <laughs> that are are in, mm-hmm. and, and there there aren't such things as orphanages anymore. You don't even have that safety net anymore. To I don't even know if orphanages are a good thing or a bad thing. That's a whole other debate. But um, you know, there's there's not even that safety net to to, to catch children. You know, even in the foster system, they turn them out at 18 right away. And, you know, if you didn't have anywhere to go before one day, you certainly don't have anywhere to go the next day as well. And youth aging out of the foster care system, exactly what you're describing, Laurie, uh, when when a youth who is in the foster care system turns 18 and is no longer under the jurisdiction of the state or the foster care system, those young adults, those 18-year-olds are at enormous risk of becoming homeless. So that mm-hmm. continues to be an issue that, that we need to, to focus on and address. Right. Yeah, because it, it's just one day. One day you're 17, the next day you're 18. Uh, there's, you know, there's <laughs> there's, there's not much that, that you could change in, in that amount of time. And, you know, you only have um, – you have very, very, very little options. Well, we're going to yep. take another break. We're going to come back with David, and we're going to talk about options. We're going to talk about the grants that the Gates Foundation has that, that people can tap into. We're going to talk about social media. We're going to talk about what everyday people like me and you can, can do to help. And, you know, there's 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 got to be more than we can do than giving somebody a dollar and walking away and feeling good about ourselves. Um, or is giving someone a dollar on the street even a good thing. I'm going to talk to David about that, and we're going to be right back, and we're going to discuss what what we could do in a positive thing to, as a as a group, to push this effort forward even just a little bit. So we'll be back in just a moment. This is Andy McCarroll from Belfast, Northern Ireland. He is a school teacher, very sympathetic to the human spirit, and we're going to listen to his song calling "Feeling So Lonely." We'll be back in just a moment.
Northern Ireland and his song Feeling So Lonely. And I am back with David Wertheimer from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation on Family Homelessness. And David and I were talking offline here while you were listening to that song about a lot of homeless people do work. So when you're when you're looking at a lot of the homeless people, they they are going out and working throughout the day and the evening and the night and then a lot of times taking jobs that you and I wouldn't even want. Um but 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 the face of homeless doesn't mean um, that everybody's just partying down at the park all day long. No, a lot of people are actually working and trying to make a better life for themselves. And so David's going to share some things with us about how social media feeds into this, what we could do to um, help. Uh, Like I said before we went to break, is just giving someone a dollar on the street, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? It makes us feel better, but does it really help? I don't know. We're going to ask David about that. And then the Gates Foundation has some grants that uh, if if you have a, a organization, um, you can look into that as well. So, all right, David, what about some of those questions? Well, let's we'll take the, the, the first one, panhandling, good or bad. Sure. Yeah, you know, well, I think that that every every individual uh, has to decide for herself or himself how they're going to approach their own personal philanthropy. You know, all of us are philanthropists when we give money to people or organizations. Uh, that is our own personal philanthropy. So we're all in this business together, and I think each person has to make their own decision about about their own personal philanthropy and how they're going to approach that. For me personally, uh, I tend, for the most part, not to give money to people on the streets uh, because I don't necessarily think that's the best way to be helpful. Um, I think that instead there are so many incredible organizations in this community and in other communities across the country that are doing great work around homelessness uh, that giving donations to those organizations is often uh, a very effective way to get involved in the issue. 
And because of the Internet and, and social media, it's now so possible to find out information about the organizations in your community uh, that can target specifically to the, the population that you want to target your donations to, whether it's uh, single adults or youth or families, to specific geographies or you know, if you wanted to work specifically in Seattle or Tacoma or on the east side or in Puyallup or in, in Oregon or wherever you may be, um, you can really uh, search uh, the Internet for the organizations that, uh, that have websites up that, that, that can describe to you what they're doing and how they're doing it so that you can match your giving to the organizations that resonate most to what it is you want to try to accomplish with the, the donations that you're providing. Uh, by geography, by population, by, by approach, et cetera. So I really encourage people to make use of the tools that are out there uh, in, in, in uh, the virtual land to find out about uh, the organizations that they could be uh, targeting their donations to. In addition, the, the tools of social media have proven very, very powerful for both for people who are homeless and for people who are working to try and end homelessness. For people who are homeless, social media has become uh, a venue for finding connections to other people who are in crisis and support, as well as to organizations and programs that can be helpful. There are pioneers out there doing this work, like Mark Horvath, uh, who you can find on Twitter at, uh, at Hardly Normal. Uh, great uh, Twitter handle, at Hardly Normal. He also has a, a television station on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and, and, and look up Invisible People, he has Invisible People TV, which is uh, basically a YouTube channel that's devoted entirely to uh, videos about homelessness. Uh, there are also uh, organizations and individuals. I, I, uh, I tweet multiple times a day, uh, David W. Seattle. You can follow me on Twitter. Uh, and I try and, and tweet stories about what's happening in, in, in the world of homelessness and what opportunities, progress, uh, crises are we facing. So there, there's a world of information out there that can help to inform how every person can make the decisions for themselves about their own philanthropy. And then the Gates Foundation has grants. Can you tell us a little bit about the grant program? Sure. Well, you know, the Gates Foundation works uh, across the planet on a variety of different issues uh, and is working uh, on primarily global health and global development in developing countries. And then here in the United States, uh, we focus on education, both uh, college readiness and post-secondary success for, for disadvantaged populations. Here in the Pacific Northwest, uh, in Washington State and the greater Portland metro area, the Pacific Northwest team focuses its work on vulnerable children, youth, and families, so things like family homelessness, uh, educational success, Native American communities, uh, et cetera, that, uh, that communities that, that really uh, are, are, are facing particular uh, challenges in uh, moving forward uh, in relation to the vulnerability of their, their, their own populations and communities. In family homelessness, we're working primarily in the central Puget Sound region in King Pearson, Snohomish County, where we are uh, investing probably by the time we're done uh, more than $100 million of uh, foundation resource in the work of ending homelessness. Uh, the work is, is driven primarily by an organization I mentioned earlier, Building Changes, uh, and you can look at their website at buildingchanges.org, and they're working at a systems level with the, the counties and municipalities in the central Puget Sound region to figure out how to align private sector dollars from the Gates Foundation and others, and public sector resources from the federal, state, and local levels to best address and end family homelessness. So they have a grant-making program at Building Changes, uh, which is designed to specifically leverage the, the, the best possible use of the aligned public and private dollars that are out there touching families that are at risk and homeless. Well, and um, I also found out that the Gates uh, has a visitor center downtown Seattle that, that the public can go. It's open to the public, right? And it's free. And you can see the work that the it Gates is. Foundation is doing around the globe. The Gates Foundation campus has uh, uh, is, is located uh, at uh, 500 Fifth Avenue North. It's right uh, kitty corner from the Experience Music Project and uh, across the street from the Space Needle. And uh, we have a visitor center that's right on the corner there. Uh, at 500 uh, uh, Fifth Avenue North, which 
tries to describe and 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 give information for the 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 general community about what it is the Gates Foundation is doing and seeking to accomplish both in its local work here in the Pacific Northwest uh, and across the globe. Uh, it's a very uh, sort of fun and interactive visitor center where you get asked questions and you're asked how to solve problems and and you actually can provide real-time input to the Gates Foundation as we're we're struggling with a variety of important issues all across the globe. So I encourage people to come and down and take a look at it. Definitely. I, I, I definitely want to come down. And it's free. It doesn't get any better than free. Free's the best. That's right. It's free. <laughs> well, overall, David, would you say that you're feeling optimistic, pessimistic with, with, with what's going on? Is, is there hope? Is there light at the end of the tunnel? I actually feel very optimistic uh, because I feel that that even though we are coming out of uh, an era of recession and uh, a period of continuing crisis for government budget and government spending, I think that the increasing awareness and visibility of the issue of homelessness through, for example, uh, radio broadcasts like this one, Laurie, uh, where uh, your listening public can, can, can hear uh, and understand more about what's going on in the world of homelessness, that we have growing visibility and a growing commitment uh, to working to address the issues of homelessness and a growing awareness that no, as I said earlier, no one organization or government agency can do this by themselves, that we we must have a, a, a collaborative, integrated approach to ending homelessness that brings together everyone who's committed to addressing this issue. Uh, and by doing that, I think we actually can magnify the impact of the resources that are already in play uh, to end homelessness and get to much better outcomes and results over time. So I am actually very optimistic. Well, I want people to know that they can stay with you on Twitter, which is David W. Seattle, like you said earlier, and they can uh, – you, you are a really good tweeter about – uh, things going on around the country and around the globe with with this um, uh, with the homeless um, topic, and you you just find the greatest articles are just very interesting to read. So you're very active on Twitter, so people again can follow you at David W Seattle on Twitter, and they can find out more information at the um, they can Google the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation on homelessness. It pops right up, very very first thing, and. I encourage people to go, like I'm going to do, to go to the Gates Visitor Center um, downtown and take part in the free interactive uh, uh, display that they have going on there where they want to have feedback from people as well. So 500 Fifth Avenue, Fifth Avenue North, right near the Space Needle. Everyone knows where the Space Needle is. You can see it as soon as you come in. So just tell your taxi driver, head for the Space Needle. You can find it. Right. And Lori, I want to thank you, you oh, for yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to thank you for for inviting me uh, to join you today and for your passion for this issue and for your taking the time to to raise this issue for your listeners. I really greatly appreciate it and it's it's that kind of action that is going to help end homelessness. So, I really uh, was a pleasure being with you today. Well, thank you. I, I really appreciate. You know, it's you, you. You don't really know what the, the the problem seems so huge. It's almost like you can't even wrap your brain around it. But if you really think about it, there are little things. We don't have to take on the whole thing, but if we all just do a couple little things, and it does take a village um, to get on top of these. It it, it it it's like weight. You know you. It's it's easy to put weight on. It's hard to take it off. You don't even know that you got out of weight, you know. And then by the time you do it, it it's so the, the problem is is so big. But what do you do? You just start chipping at it little by little by little. And that's what we have to do with with this. We just start little, you know. We don't have to change it overnight, but we do have to change it. And it's going to start by you to me to the person at the market to the person listening. And if we all do a little part, we move, you know. We we we, we move the movement you know, a few steps closer every single day. And and really great for Florida right now that in a year has seen a seven over a seventeen percent drop in family homelessness. You know, really kudos to them on that. That's that that is great, great news. And so I want to thank David again for coming on. Be sure to follow him at David W Seattle 
on Twitter, and then you can always see more at the Gates Foundation on homelessness. We're going to listen to Even the Stars by Rafe Perlman and Jonathan Plum, and I will be back in just a moment.
Perlman and Jonathan Plum. And again, I just really appreciate that David Wertheimer from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation took the time to come on with us today and and try to give us some options that, that we can do so we don't have to feel helpless and that we can move forward in a positive manner. And I just want to give his Twitter again is David W. Seattle. If you're on Twitter, he's encouraged us to also follow Hardly Normal on Twitter and then check out Invisible People TV on YouTube. And then uh, I also, if you're going to be on YouTube, you're going to want to look at Jeff Ott, um, and he has some very um, insightful songs about his own experience. And then if you're on Facebook, you're going to want to look at Perfect Strangers. That's Rosetta Greek down at the market writing stories and taking pictures of uh, a lot of the homeless population, most of which are youth and families. And the Gates Foundation is doing tremendous work, not only in the Seattle and Washington area, but like I said before, agencies uh, from around the world are tapping into their resources and their great minds to try to figure out how to end not only manage homeless, but end it. They, they want to end homeless. And as we know, a lot of the homeless are military, they are children, and they are families. So I hope today we were able to put more of a face with homelessness in America and around the world and give you some options on what you can do to do a, you know, a, a little part. He, he doesn't encourage uh, giving money on the street. Um, but we all have our way of uh, being philanthropists. And if you follow David on Twitter or go to the Gates Foundation website, you will uh, find out more, more, more ways that, that you can help. And then if you're in Seattle, you're going to want to check out the free Gates Visitors Center um, down by the Space Needle. It's free. You can go in there and have an interactive experience with the Gates Foundation. So thank you for joining us. We will put this um, – interview back up so that more people can listen to Dave Wertheimer's interview and I encourage you to if you have any questions to follow him on Twitter um, thank you for joining us today we're going to go out with Ray Bolt's I Will Choose to Love as you know I'm a big Ray Bolt fan um, I think Rafe Perlman and Jonathan Plum for sending over their fantastic music that's going to be a hit and Andy McCarroll from Belfast, Northern Ireland, a great singer-songwriter who is a teacher and just a, a great human soul for sending his music to add to this show today. So thanks again to David, and thanks all of you for listening. up mm-hmm.
I will choose. 